Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless here, Life Story Curator, bringing you this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, in transition or possibly stuck, and giving them access to the career stories of people who have been in transition, maybe stuck, or just starting out. And today I'm very excited to be introducing, or introducing, interviewing Chris Cook, who is the Director of Membership and Strategic Partnerships at Colorado Thought Leaders. Hello, Chris. Good morning. And Chris's journey, um, I think, touches on all three of our categories. He's recently changed careers, so he's kind of just starting out, uh, but also was feeling a bit stuck and in transition, so can't wait to get to the meet. But before we get to the meet, I always like to start with the icebreaker questions Mm -hmm. to give our audience a sense of who you are. So let's talk about where you grew up, uh, you know, how many kids in your family, where were you in the birth order, and how that influenced you. Perfect. Well, I'm a Colorado native. I've spent uh, almost my entire life living and working in Colorado. Uh, My parents divorced when I was young, and my dad remarried, and interestingly, my mom uh, ended up falling in love with a never, ne- excuse me, another woman, and so essentially, I have almost three families of siblings. Oh, wow. um, my brother and I, um, the two blood relatives. I'm the youngest. Um, I have two stepsisters that are both younger than me, so that puts me in the middle through my dad's remarriage, and then my mom's partner has three kids, two of which are older than me, one of which is younger than me. Oh, wow. So this is yeah. quite a, a blended family exactly. for you. Exactly. And so I think growing up, especially through high school, you know, there were moments in junior high and high school where I was either the youngest or in some situations the oldest or for most of it, the, the middle child. So it was, you know, it kind of shapes you in different ways, different environments, yeah. exposure to a lot of different things. So you didn't have probably that traditional... Uh, mindset of I'm the oldest or youngest or wow wow because you had to play all the roles yeah you do you play play a lot of different roles at different times in your life and so for me it started pretty early with those different roles yeah so did you have did you kind of split time with your parents then or did you with each of them yeah so when I was um, after my parents my dad and my mom were divorced um, we would alternate every other weekend um, with the parents but my dad only lived um, at first just up the street and so um, some days I would walk home to school from school to his house, um, sometimes to to my mom's house. Um, but I also grew up ski racing, and my dad and I were the two in the family that really had a passion for skiing. And so any day, if there was snow on the ground and I wasn't in school, <laughs> my dad and I were in some way um, involved in skiing. In and so not not the traditional, hey, your parents are divorced and you see one significantly more than the other. I was really blessed in that I was still around both of my parents a great deal. Uh, winters, of course, with skiing. And then in the summers, my dad was our soccer coach. Wow. Um, the biggest change, I think, when they divorced is that um, dad wasn't always sleeping in the same house that I was, but I probably saw him almost as much um, as when they were married. Wow. So really, yeah. you just kind of had two homes. Right, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah and your like family just homes. got bigger. <laughs> it, exactly, exactly. So what city did you grow up in then? So I grew up in Arvada, um, just you know, just a little bit north of here and you know, from the city of Denver. Most people think of uh, the area around um, just south of the Boulder Turnpike and Wadsworth. So I was a Pomona High School graduate, uh, ended up going to University of Northern Colorado as well, so stayed in the area for... Mm-hmm. For, for college and only uh, really a six-month stint down in the Phoenix area 
um, right after college. But other than that, stayed here in Colorado for most of my life. Yeah, probably because of the mountains, right? <laughs> I, I was drawn from a lot, for a long time into the ski industry. And so you are, yeah, you already kind of touched on skiing and soccer. Was there other sports too, or those are the primary? Yeah, those were really the primary. Um, in junior high and a little bit in high school, I dabbled in both wrestling and in football. Um, mostly from a standpoint of being in shape for the ski season and the competitions that I was going to there. Uh, And when those sports at a higher level started to compete with my time um, for the ski season, I I left those um, and instead kept my high school involvement more in the theater and uh, music departments instead of in in sports because the ski racing aspect was uh, through Winter Park Resort rather than, you know, through a high school. Yeah, most high schools don't have ski teams, right? A lot. Most of the Denver Metro um, high schools don't have ski yeah. teams. You get up into the mountains, and most of the oh, yeah, high schools all, do. But yeah. yeah, definitely different. There was a ski club in high school, but I didn't really participate in. Yeah. That. So you mentioned music and theater. Uh, do you play an instrument, or do you sing, or yeah, dance, so I, or do I, you I sing about? poorly. I sing poorly. I sing poorly. Um, <laughs> and in the car, and do you sing in your a car? A little bit in the car, a little bit in the shower. Um, I don't play an instrument, and interestingly, you know, I was, this goes back over 20 years, but I was an all-state choir um, for both mixed choir and jazz choir, but I can't read music. Um, I can't read a a line of music at all, and uh, was lucky to be around a group of people that welcomed me in, and my voice, my singing voice is deep enough that it was able to add something that a lot of the other uh, students at the time couldn't. Um, so I was lucky to be able to participate in a lot of different things. Well, it's funny you mentioned you can't read music. I'm, um, I call myself kind of a trained musician. I can read music and play the piano, but I didn't. I don't consider myself talented music. You know, musically. Yeah. Okay. You know, there are certain people that can just sit down and they can pick up a tune and pluck it out. And that's my husband. Yeah. He can, you know, on the guitar noodle things out. And I'm like, boy, I need that music right there. Right. So. Yeah. I've always really admired that person that can, you know, pick up an instrument or hear a tune and immediately being able to play it, uh, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, my best singing's in the car, by the way, by myself. So, Okay, so we're going to shift gears just a smidge here. Um, do you speak any other languages? A little bit of Spanish. Um, used to speak more Spanish. I'm at a point now where I can understand usually the theme of what someone's discussing, but usually can't respond to them in, in Spanish. Okay. I always ask that because, you, you know, a lot of times people young study uh, another language. Um, Okay, uh, on the fun meter, on a scale of one to five, one being couch potato, five, life of the party, where do you put yourself on the fun meter? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an introvert by nature, and so I'm not, con- not consistently the life of the party, but I love to experience things. So I like to be out away from the couch, um, but like to soak, thing in, soak things in as an active observer in most cases, or or being out in areas of solitude, hiking, camping, fishing, Mm, those types of things. Yeah, moving, doing something rather than being the, you know, the person on center stage or the life of the party. Well, I I love that because it really comes down to how do you define fun, right? And, you know, you're defining it in a certain way. I kind of put it, you know, couch potato and life of the party, but okay, cool. Um, So did you give me a number? Yeah, I would put myself in the three in range. In the three range, yeah, okay. I like to be in the middle, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, risk meter, same scale on one to five. One being low risk, two, or uh, five being high risk. Where do you put yourself? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's two different scales for me on that. There's the physical risk, 
And at this point, I consider myself low on the physical risk scale. I'd probably be in the two range. Um, whereas earlier, uh, 20 years ago, when I was heavily involved in, in skiing still, I would put myself probably on a six on the one to five scale. <laughs> well, yeah, when meter. I heard ski racing, I'm like, yeah. whoa, that, yeah. But then if you look at the, you know, the experiencing new things and taking a risk by, you know, ch- going to new environments, traveling to new countries, getting involved in something I've never done before, um, where there isn't a high physical risk, um, I would say I'm very um, open to risk. And so I'd say in the four range um, for those things that aren't physically threatening. Ah, okay. Well, and, and that might influence then your recent career change too then, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, well, let's talk just a little bit about what you do today so people Perfect. understand what it means to be the Director of Membership and Strategic Partnerships. And then we'll get into, how did I get here? Yeah. Yeah, so essentially what my role is um, with Colorado Thought Leaders Forum is I look at our five programs that we offer and I find ways to augment or adjust those programs to fit the needs of our members and to welcome new members into our programs. So I have the opportunity to work collaboratively with our members, with potential members, with outside organizations to deliver content um, and experiences in a way that enriches and elevates business leaders throughout Colorado. Wow, so that's, I was just gonna say that, and so who's your target member? It's a Colorado business leader, yeah, right? Co- co- Colorado business leaders, you know, it's, it's those folks that have had Um, some success in their life where they have taken on some type of leadership role and that could be I'm managing people for the first time or I'm the CEO of a of a large company Um, we have a lot of business owners we have a lot of entrepreneurs um, we have a lot of senior leaders in larger organizations it's a um, the biggest target that we look for is that people that are willing um, to give and to support the growth of other people Um, how do we come together to help others grow, and then together we change the way business is done in, in Colorado. Yeah, well, I love being part of Colorado Thought Leaders Forum. I'm you know, in the Wise Women program, but also in the Strategic Connections downtown chapter, and I've already interviewed, I don't know how many leaders <laughs> from this organization, so I'm very excited to interview you, and then I also mm-hmm. have kind of Sarah, the president on, uh, on the- On tap as on well. On tap as well, Wonderful. but getting on her schedule is crazy, as you know, so. Exactly. Okay, so let's go a little bit back, way back when and go, okay, well, when, when Chris was young, were you thinking, oh, one day I'm gonna be in a leadership programming. What did you wanna be when you grew up? When well, you I went through those phases. I think you look at, the, you know, depending on the year, it was a different idea of what I wanted to be. Um, I had those moments where I wanted to be a firefighter. Um, there's moments where I wanted to be in the military. Uh, there's moments where uh, marketing and sales were incredibly interesting to me. Um, the piece that was constant through all of those roles that I wanted to be involved in when I was young um, is that I wanted to be involved in helping other people in some way whether it be um, you know, helping battle a fire or going to defend um, what oh, we've held as dear or, or helping people communicate um, their ideas and their thoughts um, or um, a, big, a big section. And when I, I went to college, it was I was gonna be a teacher, you know, studying history and was, mm. uh, wanted to be an elementary school teacher for a, a big section. And it was always about what can I give back to other people 
in a way that was uh, fulfilling for for me. And was that a kind of a conscious understanding of yourself at the time, or did you kind of get that aha moment? You know, as you went, you know, as you got older, and you started looking back, going, "Oh, here's the common thread," or or at the time where you're like, you know, I just I got to find something where I'm working with people. Yeah, you know, for me, it was more. Um, looking back at the careers and the roles that I've had over time and realizing those elements of the job that I gravitated towards, mm. that I felt mo- the most fulfilled in, yeah. right? The, those areas where I felt what I, where I could really be my best um, tended to gravitate towards building coalitions, um, bringing people together, not because I had something specifically to give them, but instead... I saw a diverse group of people that could come together, that together we could give something back or develop something new or um, create a new experience for other people. So um, when I saw those opportunities, um, that's what I gravitated towards. Mm -hmm. And looking back, it happened at every single job I've ever had from... Mm -hmm. Uh, one of my first jobs selling shoes at Tom McCann when I was oh, in Tom high school. Oh, Tom McCann, I forgot to, about them. Yeah, yeah, this is not a name you hear. <laughs> working in the mall in high school. Um, but even to the career I have now, it, it, it's always gravitated through how can I help people? And in that Tom McCann role as well, I wanted to help train the new people. Right? Oh. I wanted to, to talk to the the guests or the um, the clients as they would come in, the customers as they come in, and instead of just going, hey, I want to sell them a shoe, is that I wanted to know why they needed a shoe. What oh. were they going to use the shoe for? And then talk about, you know, how could the shoe help them instead of like, hey, here's a nice shoe. Let's Does it fit? Yeah. Let's go. They're like, oh, I have a job interview. Exactly. Or I have yeah. a big event I'm going to or, you know, what have you. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you mentioned you went to UNC, correct? I did. So what was your degree in? Uh, history. Was uh, planning to be an elementary school teacher. Oh, that's as right. I, you uh, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, sh- towards the end of, of college, realized I wasn't going to be a good fit inside a classroom every day. Oh. Um, I was really blessed in high school in that I got to do a lot of work with the Jefferson County Outdoor Lab Schools. And that's what ignited, you know, kind of this thought that I would be a teacher. Um, but really, the environment of outdoor lab schools, you're out on trails. You're in an, you're teaching content, but in a non-traditional way. You're yeah, not sitting a, down at a desk. It's experiential, right? It's very experiential. Mm-hmm. And it took me a few years in college to realize that teaching then um, and what we were being taught to then deliver in a classroom wasn't experiential. Uh, we it, it, see some of the same trends now, but it was about taking tests to some degree. And it was those um, very talented teachers that I had that brought experiential, you know, kind of learning into the classroom that I respected, but also realized that there probably wasn't a pathway that fit what I wanted to do to really be an experiential teacher at that time. Um, So I took life in a different direction. So did you um, change mid-college? Or did you get a degree? And no, it was eventually... yeah, it was after after college that I'd really decided it wasn't a fit. Mm, it just okay. wasn't the right direction. So I moved down to Arizona for a little bit. Um, had a very good friend down there, and he had been down for um, in in the Phoenix area for a few years. And um, not knowing what I wanted to do anymore, I thought, oh, I'll move to Arizona. Um, if you've ever been to Phoenix in the middle of the summer, I. Sh- <laughs> 
strongly encourage you, like you know, 120 degrees is not fun. Um, choosing to move to Phoenix in the middle of the summer is even a worse idea. And it went from 65 degrees <laughs> <Note> to <self. laughs> in Colorado to almost 120 in, wow, double, in Phoenix. Wow, almost double the temperature. And it just was not the right fit. So didn't know from a career standpoint what I wanted to do. And so it was a good um, kind of oh, delay in planning my life. But it also created some clarity that, that I wanted to be in Colorado. I wanted to be near the mountains. I wanted to have access to the type of activities that I yeah. wanted to do without it being 120 degrees. <laughs> well, sometimes, you you know, there are those moves or those changes that give you clarity, but in the opposite, right? They're right. like, oh, this is what I don't want. Yeah. I remember a friend one time said the whole reason he's in IT is because he drove heavy equipment for a summer. He got a job driving heavy equipment and the noise, the dust, the, you know, the repetition of it. He was like, it, and it really pushed him. To yeah. go to college, but he hadn't planned, you know, he didn't really like college, tried it, didn't like it. But then once he did that, he's like, nope, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to college. And then that's when, how he got into IT. Exactly. But. My dad had told me after a, a couple of, of jobs, um, you know, through high school and, and then into college when I was, you know, still working, paid for some of my college myself. Um, he said, well, at least, you know, another job, you know, that you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So you have an experience, you, you do something for a while. Uh, you learn and you grow in every role that you have in life. And at least at the end of that role, you know, hey, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's okay. Well, you know, that's great advice, right? Because you could be feeling a little bit negative about it. I didn't make it a good decision. But it's like, no, I, like you said, it took six months. I figured this out. And I went, you yeah. know what? Now I'm really, really clear on how important the mountains are to me and, right. you know, certain things. So. Exactly. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So then you moved back to Colorado. Back to Colorado, I uh, ended up becoming a personal banking officer. So got into uh, home equity lo- lines of credit, home equity loans, uh, you know, checking accounts, savings accounts, that type of thing. How did you get into that? Did you ha- know a, someone had there? a friend that okay, made yeah. an introduction and it just kind of worked out to get the job. And it's funny, uh, I had mentioned earlier that I was, I grew up ski racing and all through college, I made a conscious decision to not be involved in skiing anymore. I didn't want to continue to ski race. I, so you just I wanted raced to, in high school? Yeah, then, just up in... until high school. Oh, so okay. from about seven years old uh, until I was 18. Uh, and in college, really separated from that aspect of my life. Didn't want uh, to be that heavily involved in skiing, not because I didn't want to ski, but in high school particularly, because I was spending majority of my time that there was snow on the ground up at the resort, I didn't develop some of the relationships or maintain some of the relationships with people in my life uh, the rest of the year. And so wanted oh. to have to build connections to to have a traditional college experience um, while I was in college. And, and so made that decision to stay away. Interestingly though, my dad, uh, who started, started teaching skiing part-time on the side, when I was ski racing, because he had to drive me up anyway. What's he going to do while he's up there, right? Exactly. Might as well teach skiing while he's up there. Started to, to you know, every single year say, hey, you should come up and be a part-time instructor. You would love it. You would like it. You would be good at it. Five, six years later, I'm tired of listening to the question. And so I thought, oh, I'll do this for one year, part-time. It's only 20 days for the season. 
And then I can tell my dad it's not what I want to do and it's another job I know that I don't want. But well, I'll appease my dad. But I'll appease my dad. Well, I made it a month into the ski season. I quit my job at the bank and moved up to the mountains. Oh. Ended up staying at the resort, um, living in the mountains for 16 years, a total of 18 years um, with the resort itself, with a couple of those being back here in Denver. <laughs> kind of funny how your dad was right. Huh? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> those, th- those things where, you know, here you're in your early 20s. Probably the last thing you want to admit is that your your parents are right. Yeah, it was one of those situations. Well, yeah, because you think about right. you you were thinking about being a teacher, but you wanted to be an outdoor teacher. Well, yeah. why you know? Yeah, so <laughs> teaching skiing fit. and you were great right. skier, obviously, because you were racing. <laughs> you're in your element, yeah. and your dad's like, "Hey, this is your element." You're like, "No, no, that's <laughs> not for me." <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. we all have to find our way. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. You know, and and then in the ski industry, there's a lot of different roles. You know, I was involved in the ski school for 16 of those 18 years, and it was a series of different jobs. It was, you know, an instructor, a kids instructor, an adult instructor, the supervisor in the kids programs, a trainer, an adult manager, and then the business development manager. Um, So a lot of different roles from sometimes seasonal to eventually year round. And then finishing my career in the ski industry as the... um, front range sales manager and sponsorship manager for the resort. So working with uh, companies like Coca-Cola and New Belgium Brewing to bring them into the resort and develop experiences and just selling season passes, right? Getting more people involved and going up and having the opportunity to make turns. Um, Or back at the start of the career when it's teaching people physically, you know, how to ski. Um, From kids, could be three years old. The oldest person I ever taught was 98. Oh, wow. Um, on the snow, which How was an amazing was experience. Yeah, amazing experience. Now, what about like big events, uh, you know, competitions and stuff? Did you get into the event side of it as well? Is that what you meant when you like Coca-Cola and, you know, bring Yeah, so, you or? know, when we would have, you know, a sponsor, really, I think of it as a partnership with a company like New Belgium. Um, it was brewing, you know, beers like uh, Fat Tire. Um, New Belgium at the time started to brew a beer for us at Winter Park called Mary Jane Ale. Um, and I was lucky enough to be a part of the team that negotiated that contract, that developed not only the the financial side of the relationship, but really got to work closely with the team at New Belgium to de- desi- design how did they want to be involved in the resort that was authentic to their brand and who were who they were as a company, but it was also authentic to who Winter Park was um, as a brand, as a resort. As a community, so you know, great and so it's synchronicity and alignment. Yeah. yeah, so wow. it's you know, it. You think of there's those traditional elements of a sponsorship that are, you know, a banner placement and a logo and email inclusion. But I think what we were most excited about doing with with New Belgium at the time, uh, we did a amazing, uh, kind of launch of one of their beers. Um, they at the time launched a beer called Slow Ride and. In the summer, they brought up about 80 people on the train from Denver up to the resort, a slow ride up to the mountains ah. for a weekend of summer activities, a beer tasting dinner at the resort. And, um, you know, we think about 
yes, there's some events and stuff that were part of those types of sponsorship, but it was it was really those unique experiences that we were able to create for the the guests at Winter Park through the partnerships with companies yeah. like New Belgium that were really How really fun. a lot of fun to play yeah, with. Yeah, very creative and yeah. new ideas. So it sounds so it sounded like you're there for 18 years, but had what eight or nine different careers or roles yeah, really there? eight or nine different roles. So the you know the start. You know, in the ski industry, as an instructor, you don't really make any money, and so. And do you have to hustle to get your own? Um, I shouldn't say the word hustle. Your do own you have clients. to get your own clients, or to you... some degree, um, you know, building out a private lesson client and maintaining those relationships is a quicker way to make being an instructor financially stable, mm -hmm. right? Um, but was as group lessons come in, as people come to the resort and sign up for lessons, they're being assigned to instructors based on, on their skill set. And so that was the start of it. But the nature of the ski industry is very seasonal, right? There's not only is it seasonal from winter to summer, but it's seasonal during the winter, right? There are very busy times over the holidays and there are slow times um, as well. And so the nature of being in the ski industry, you have side gigs. Um, you do other things as well mm -hmm. to, to kind of maintain a, a lifestyle that you can afford. Um, at the time, in the summers, when my job was was seasonal um, at Winter Park Resort, I was with a, a guest ranch um, in the Granby area. Oh. It was a five-star guest ranch and um, had the opportunity to, to work with them as their assistant general manager for many years uh, and absolutely loved the people. I think the, the piece that was so special about that ranch environment is that it exposed me to guests that were coming that were business leaders from all over the country. And I had the opportunity to be, just be in conversations with them and to hear about their business and to hear about their life stories and how they got into what they got in. And it really kind of awoken uh, a passion for learning different business models and to trying to figure out in the given the business landscape, what was the opportunity to tweak it just a little bit? to get that extra mm -hmm. 2%, 5%, 3%, whatever, um, of exposure or revenue or customer satisfaction, and was able to take those types of experiences at the ranch into different roles at the ski area as well. Yeah. So when I became a supervisor, how did how could we maximize the efficiency from the operations to, to deliver a higher quality experience for our guests? Um, when I became the adult manager, how could we augment our programs by developing new programs, new ways for people to engage at the resort um, to learn how to ski or to snowboard? Um, and then in the business development role is how do we augment our marketing? How do we develop our relationships with the other departments to drive more people through our programs so that they could become lifelong sports enthusiasts, whether it be skiing or snowboarding or telemarketing, whatever it was, how could we get them to share, um, to really engage in what we all had so much passion for, and that was at the time for me, skiing, snowboarding. Yeah, because um, you're doing well. this full time, and these people are doing it for a weekend. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Denver skier with a season pass, they might come up 10 times, 12 times over the season for... Um, the, the person coming up from Texas, Texas over Christmas, they might only ski for three or four days a year. Um, for other people, it might be they only ski once in their lifetime for a couple of days, and it's their only experience when they travel from another country. So you, 
um, really working to, divide, to uh, design ways for people to engage that fit them and yeah. fit their goals. You know, at Winter Park, they have a philosophy of what they call guest-centered teaching, right? It's not what do I want to teach you, but what do you want from an experience on the mountain and and then really designing what you're doing and all of our instructors working to design what they're doing with a guest so that they have the experience that they want they get out of it what their you know what their needs are tied to not what I think they should be doing as a as a professional yeah wow yeah well I'm, I'm hearing a couple of themes here one is you're learning and growing from every part of your world you know from your summer you know, what you're doing in the summers and in the winters. and But the people that you meet, it sounds like you were learning and, you know, gathering information from them like a sponge. Yeah. Um, but then also you were outdoors and teaching. So I look at what you were wanted to be as a young person. That all seems to fit. So sounds to me like you're living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point There's you're like, times, you yeah. got stuck, right? Yeah. Or, so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, for me, the ski industry is amazing in that, you're exposed to people from all over the world that are having their vacation, right? They're, they're excited for it. It's a, um, there's a lot of energy and emotion involved in traveling with family and um, trying to create that, that best experience. You're kind of on stage all the time. Mm. Um, you almost have to, you almost at times put on a false face or a mask um, because you're trying to create the best experience for other people all the time. And that can wear on you after yeah. a while. You know, the, the I reality never thought of it in is, that way before. yeah, when the people that you're exposed to are only with you for a couple of days at a time and maybe a year or two apart until you see them again, um, a lot of those relationships become um, superficial to some degree and that it's based on just a, a, you know, a very small part of who you are as a person. But the people that you're around all the time are is a very small group of people that are at the you know in the in the hills in the mountains year round. A lot of the people that you're close to that you worked with for years, you only see three, four, six months of the year, and so you know that kind of changes. It affects the relationships that you build, and in that, um, for me, it wasn't that part of of the industry that I was stuck in. Right, it, that that part of it I enjoyed and found a way to thrive in in that environment. But that type of environment also tends to attract people. Um, a lot of us in the ski industry would like to say we had the Peter Pan syndrome, right? I never want to grow up, right? I always want to do things, kind of footloose and, and fancy free, mm-hmm. and it it points it it limits the opportunities that you see, right, uh, that are around you. Specifically for me, um, there was aspects of my job that I absolutely loved, but I was allowing a leader that I was working with to kind of change the way I was interacting in certain parts of my role in a way that wasn't authentic to me, Hmm. is that I didn't have the strength as a leader who was still growing in my skill set to really say, hey, treating people this way doesn't work. Right? It's not authentic to me. It's not the way that I want to be as a leader. Um, I often think that there are parts of my job when I was feeling stuck that it felt like there was just a small nail that someone was holding on the top of my head and they just had a tiny little hammer that they would just tap 
just gently every once in a while, right? And you'd feel the little point in, in your skull. You'd feel it. It was uncomfortable every once in a while, but you could you kind of learned how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But over time, it became more and more um, of a distraction from who you were. It was more of a, um, had more of an effect on who you were trying to be to where it, it started to bring out pain or it started to bring out not just a slight discomfort, but actually this is preventing, right? This behavior is preventing me from doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And for many years when I was stuck, I was it was okay. Like I'd let that tap. I knew the tapping was going to happen with that nail in the head. And I just let it happen instead of, instead of grabbing the nail and pulling it out and doing something different. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was that piece of, for a long time, it was, it, it was comfortable. I was being very, you know, I was very successful in what I was doing. Um, at the same time, I was, a an examiner, so an advanced educator with professional, professional ski instructors of America. So I had reached a level of ski instruction or ability to instruct it. Um, maybe 5% of the skiing profession, uh, you know, get to, and that was, mm-hmm. that was great. Yeah. Um, something I espoused to for a long time, but at the same token, there was this nail in my head that was being tapped on. So something and for wasn't me, it was right. a leader that wasn't bringing out my best. In fact, um, although there was areas of that leader that I have so much respect for and, and he opened up opportunities for me that I would never have had having not been exposed to him. Um, at the same token, there were things that I allowed to happen um, while I was working there that were that nail in my head that was someone was always tapping on. Mm-hmm. Um, at times I was doing the tapping on the nail myself. Ah. At other times I was allowing others to do it. And, yeah. Um, after 18 years in the ski industry, it was time to pull out that nail and, and do something different. Yeah. So what, uh, what was the pivotal moment? Was there a, something, a new, new opportunity presented to you? Did you quit? Yeah. Did you say, you know, I just need to move and change my environment? Or Yeah, for me, so the last two years I was in the ski industry, I moved out of the mountains and I was working at the corporate offices um, down in Denver. And did that as a, you know, kind of a first attempt at really trying to change what I was doing. Yeah, change where you live yeah, is a big really deal, right? changing a lot, you know, changing what I was exposed to from uh, an opportunity to grow, you know, new arts opportunities, new food, right, new stories, um, new environment, new people to interact with. And at the and same time... And was it less seasonal? Because yeah, it was year-round at that now time. Now it's corporate, I had right? Been, at that time, I had been year-round for the resort already for about five years mm-hmm. in my last role at the, uh, with the ski school. And then for two years in, um, you know, in the sales and marketing team. So that wasn't a big change for me. It had been, you know, a, a, enough of a year round job that it was good. I had left the ranch, um, you know, years prior. Um, so didn't no longer had the summer versus winter type of role. My role was very, very consistent. Paychecks were consistent, which was great. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but at the same token, you know, I was, I felt like people only knew me as, the, as someone in the ski industry. So I had to stay in the ski, ski industry in my mind. Ah. And so that's what I did. I took a role that was a great role and I loved that job. It was a lot of fun for two years, um, but came to a point at the end that I was starting to to do things that being asked to do things that were just to do them the way that we had always done them, mm. right? Just do it this way. Um, 
because that's what we've done. And, and that ability to innovate and design new products um, to divine, de, or design new experiences for guests was becoming a smaller and smaller part of my job and didn't want that. Yeah. And at the time, I was at a spot where financially I could afford to walk away. Um, I probably didn't do it the best way for me financially, <laughs> um, but I actually left, um, gave a month's notice, finished up a, a few big projects, uh, left before the start of the new ski season, and and spent almost uh, four months what I call wandering. You know, mm-hmm. I would I would hike almost every day with my dog. I would listen to uh, podcasts. I was uh, reading different leadership books. Um, I decided for a brief moment that I wanted to be to earn a PMP certification, so project management professional. Ah, mm-hmm. Shelled out a bunch of money for that course. Um, went through all of it decided uh, after spending a lot of money that this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to push paper. Um, And at the same time, was just dabbling and looking for what jobs were out there. Mm -hmm. And at the time, saw a posting for a job that was around sponsorships, Um, specifically sponsorships in an industry that I knew nothing about, Um, esports, so professional video game tournaments, Um, I knew nothing about the industry at the time, but saw the posting and said, there's enough keywords in this posting that line up with the job that I just had Mm -hmm. that I will at least get an interview. And it will give me an opportunity to just get back in that mode of interviewing and putting myself out there and get away from the little bit of solitude and hiking every day with my dog (laughs) that I had been doing and ended up... um, getting hired for a role with an international esports company. Here you're thinking, I'll at least get an interview, and then you get the job. I end up getting the job. (laughs) And so it it was an amazing role. So I was helping bring um, an esports festival to North America. Um, They had only had one for this particular company in North America prior to the North American sales team being put together. And so I was tasked specifically with looking at companies that were not traditionally aligned in computers or in video games and bringing them in to the ecosystem as sponsors. And um, so some of those same companies that I worked with in sponsorship at Winter Park Resort was able to, you know, introduce them to esports um, in this in this new industry by building partnerships and building some sponsorships. And it was amazing. The, tr- the job took me to Sweden for 10 days where the home office was. I had to do some travel. I got to travel all over you know, the United States and, and some in Canada. And did it, you ski when you were in neat. Sweden? I did not. We were there for summer, actually. Ah. So we were there over midsummer. In midsummer, at 22 hours of sunlight. Oh, and um, during midst of the kickoff of, I of summer, how far and north it's that, amazing. Yeah. yeah, so no skiing then, um, <laughs> but really a, a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that role, you know, great people, great opportunity. Um, when I took the job, I said, you know, told myself I would commit to it for two years. And at the end of the first year, it was clear to me that it wasn't the right culture fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, communication, communication with the team back and forth from Sweden to, to Colorado wasn't great. Um, I was frustrated in that putting together these deals with sponsors was taking much longer than I felt it should because there's a whole team 
that I was communicating almost solely through email with in a in a different country to you know 12 hour time distance yeah. all of that and it, for me it wasn't the right fit and the way sometimes things work out the way they should um, the team in Sweden came to us the whole North American sales team and essentially laid us off um, got rid of our team um, and it, it at first it was a shock it was like I felt like a failure and um, the other it side took it is personally. Yeah, it took it very personally yeah. and that it's I hard couldn't, not to. you know, I was, it just didn't happen the way that you wanted it. But at the same token, I was already feeling that it wasn't the right fit for me. And I was only staying at that point because I had committed to myself that I would be there for at least two years yeah. before I, before I made a shift. But it's hard when you were the one, you didn't get to do the breaking up. <laughs> yeah, not, not completely. You know, there were some discussions. There yeah. were some other opportunities in the organization that, you know, that were there if we wanted them. And it just wasn't the right fit. So the opportunity was exit was made um, for our whole team. The entire team decided they didn't want to stay in any capacity. And um, it was, it, for me, it was a blessing. Um, while I was there, I got to do some of the things I absolutely loved. I got to build coalitions. I got to bring in sponsors in a way that um, designed experiences for people at these gaming festivals that was unique, um, that was true to the brand for the company I was working for and true to the sponsor's brand as well. And that was that innovation and building coalitions from different companies and stuff was, was incredibly rewarding. Um, but at the same token, um, there wasn't a passion, you know, like I had in the ski industry for skiing. Um, to really be gaming. about the gaming. There yeah. is a, a, a game, there's some there's some titles I love to play, but for a lot of people in the organization, it's their life. Yeah. Like skiing was in my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and I so it was that. clear to me it wasn't the, the right fit for the long term. Um, and when that transition happened, I was very clear in that I wanted to continue to be in roles where I was exposed to leaders from all over, I wanted to have the opportunity to bring those leaders together in a way to build something new together. I mean, I didn't know what that looked like. And then I also had that experience of bringing in sponsorships um, and augmenting programs and, um, you know, strategizing on things like pricing and uh, marketing and how can those affect a, a business. Um, and, you know, going back a little ways into the ski industry for a minute, I had mentioned that there's those moments where you always have a side gig. Yeah. Well, for me, one of those side gigs was I was dabbling in a little bit of consulting, um, doing some leadership type of training um, for companies through a, a person who was a dear, dear friend, um, a powerful mentor in, in, my, in my life, um, a gentleman by the name of Rudy Mick. Um, he has the Mick Companies, M-I-I-C-K, if you want to look it up. But uh -huh. he's an amazing, amazing leadership coach um, really working on changing cultures in organizations so that uh, employees and customers have amazing experiences um, from everything from a, from a hiring standpoint all the way through to um, communication through teams and, and that. And my, through a little bit of work with him, I realized that's a piece of me that I really loved. Hmm. And so... In looking for a job, a friend of mine mentioned, hey, I don't know much about an organization, CTLF, Colorado Thought Leaders Forum, but in reading about them, it sounds like 
it might be something that you'd be interested in. Mm-hmm. And they had a role posted. And so it was a situation where um, I came in and got to interview and um, was really, really intrigued by the mission of the organization and really realized that this is the type of role that I've always been looking for. It took those pieces of being a, a teacher or a coach um, to be a consultant from leadership, um, to be a, a person that gets to play with pricing and marketing and communication, and um, but most importantly, to be a part of a really cohesive team to deliver something that was making a change for people. And so the, the opportunity presented itself in a way that it really was the ideal position. Um, and now almost two years in, it's, you know, I could not have been in this position five years ago. Um, had I been, you know, tried to go straight from the ski industry to where I was three years ago to where I am now, it wouldn't have worked. But having those kind of uh, learnings in my own mind and also some experiences to know exactly what it is that I wanted, um, it ended up working that the right job came available at the right time. And, it, and I was lucky enough to come and join the team. Yeah. It sounds like right job, right time throughout your whole career. I've been lucky. I've been lucky in that, you know, there's a lot of doors that were opened for me. And had the opportunity to walk through a lot of those doors. Yeah. And that, interestingly, I have not, until I made the shift away from the ski industry, once I started at an organization, I never applied for another role in the organization. I was always part, ended up being a part of a discussion about reorganization, reorganization or designing a new role or um, an opportunity to work on a project that my skill set fit. And so whether it be a lateral transition or a, or a, um, you know, a promotion, what have you, those jobs at both the ranch and at, in the ski industry kind of happened rather than I applied for those. Wow. Um, so let's, so can step we dive in, into yeah, that? Because, you know, you yeah. just said the word, I've been so lucky. And I got to tell you, like when I was in a phase of what I called transition, or I like to call myself a free agent at the time, that felt mm-hmm. better. But I remember people, oh, I just fell into this. I just got so lucky, and, and I was like, yeah, how do you create the luck? But there's something there. So was it an openness? Was it a innovation? I mean, you know, can, can you pinpoint that? Because you've been very yeah. um, introspective, I can tell, about what were some things you did that really, yeah. or that you really gravitated toward. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, when I would see situations that weren't ideal, right, or I saw situations where there was an opportunity to make things better and no one was no one was stepping in and saying I want to do that right that it was I was lucky enough to be around leaders that were willing when I said hey I want to do that Hmm. right I think I you know here's an idea that I have I think I can help influence the change make it better uh, increase profits make a better guest experience whatever it was um, that people were receptive to that. Not always. So you were kind there of There were a lot ideas, of no's. Yeah, there were a lot of no's. And hey, <laughs> hey, that's a good idea, but we're not going to do it. But every once in a while, there was a situation where it was like, yeah, let's try that. Yeah, why don't you do it? Let's see how it works. 
and then as that idea would you know build um, and become larger it would become more and more of the role that I was doing and that would result in maybe it's a title change right mm-hmm. maybe it's a you know a, a change on the job description maybe it's a um, you know maybe it's the development of a new uh, subgroup of multiple departments coming together to work you know they, they just kind of evolved mm-hmm. but they evolved because um, one I like to listen to what other you know what the opportunities are and specifically when you're hearing two three four different opportunities that people see it how you know maybe two or three of those four opportunities how they actually mesh together to create the one true opportunity that can actually work yeah right i think of it um sometimes as you know you have a, a box full of puzzle pieces but those puzzle pieces are actually all from four or five different puzzles <laughs> and someone's dumped them out onto the table yeah and no one puzzle in itself one picture has all of its parts there but there's a lot of those puzzle pieces from different pictures that can fit together to create something and when those doors would open it was most often um, situations where I saw the way that some of those puzzle pieces could fit together and that other leaders in the organization were willing to give me a chance to to see what other puzzle pieces fit as well. Yeah. And so that would lead to growth and, and to change. And that, you know, to me is the really exciting piece about how do you take these opportunities from people and situations and mesh them together to create these wonderfully mutually beneficial things where, um, you know, I'm giving back to the system, um, making what is there better by being involved, not because I had a unique or, or an idea that no one's thought of, but I was able to start to pull together teams or ideas from multiple people or situations to mesh them together in a way that was new and unique. Yeah. So it sounds like you were on the front line, so you were able to listen to customers' firsthand experiences, Yeah. Um, but you were also able to connect the dots. But it sounds like you were listening to your peers and, and just in general – but you could connect it and put it together, which you, you said it doesn't, you didn't come up with new ideas, but you did in a way because you put all those things together. Yeah, I was able to put some, some ideas into action. And I think, you know, both at the ranch and the ski area, the key for me was not just listening to the guests, right? And, and what they saw and what they wanted, but also listening to our teams, Right, the people that we work with, whether they're employees, whether they're direct reports, or maybe they're your supervisor, your manager, the owner, and also listening to people that were totally disconnected from the situation, right? Looking at uh, what was going on in different industries um, outside of skiing, what was going on in, in, in things outside of the guest ranch experience. And how could those things, whether it be through articles or podcasts or videos, YouTube, how could those experiences that were already out there actually influence in creating something better with it, with who we had in front of us? Yeah. And so I think, you know, one of the pieces um, when I was feeling very stuck in my role is that it became a closed ecosystem in that 
the same people were talking to the same people about the same mm-hmm. options or same opportunities all the time and the outside voices were being shut out and it's when those outside voices can be listened to to really go hey wait a minute what's going on inside this ecosystem can be better but to do it we need to stop playing in the same ecosystem we actually need to open up the ne- the network open up the system and let other ideas in yeah. um, that might not be traditional they might be challenging they might be disruptive but let's let's explore and try things and as a result I've had amazing failures, right? There are things that <laughs> oh, I have okay. done well, that we... were such a bad idea, but at other times, right, the, each of those failures resulted in learning. Learning and growing. Right? And yeah. if you say, you know, you think about perfection, we're striving for from perfection, but perfection um, is really built on a million different mistakes. And it's only through those mistakes and those opportunities. I said earlier, I I'm, I'm enjoy risk when it's, um, non-physical is like yeah, when you take risks you're going to have failures yeah. but then using those failures failures to put together to build something better the next time from by either learning or growing or whatever it is is that you can't be afraid to fail um, in in reality if you're afraid to fail what you're really afraid of is success because you won't find success without some failure yeah well, Chris, I could talk to you all afternoon, and uh, maybe we need to schedule another interview and yeah. talk about some of those failures. Because <laughs> there's so much learning in that. There's some fun that. ones, for but sure. I, you know, what I picked up from this last, you know, little, you know, segment is you, you didn't get discouraged when you heard no. Yeah. You didn't get discouraged when you failed, um, if you could even call a failure. Because really, it's, let's try this and see what happens. And if it sticks, take what works and move on. But I, I see a just a perpetual... How can I continue to improve things myself, et cetera? So I do see that as a theme yeah. in your life. So, but we, we do need to wrap up. Okay, so is there, I do went incredibly fast. <laughs> is there <laughs> any um, last words that you would like to share with someone maybe who is stuck or wanting to start over? Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's really two things that I, I think of. Um, and first, look at the people that are in your life and connect with them. Connect with them deeply with no expectation of getting something from them, but just build real relationships with people because there's an amazing amount of knowledge in every single person around you. Sometimes it's a it's about what not to do, right? <laughs> Through observation, you know, hey, that doesn't fit me. Oftentimes it's, you know, a way to, to change or to shift or to bring new perspective what you are doing. Um, and I'm actually reminded of a, of a quote that just came across my desk again recently. It's from um, Steve Casimiro. He's a, a venture journalist, has written for National Geographic and Outside Magazine. Um, was a, a longtime writer for Powder Magazine. Uh, and his, his statement is this. We make our most profoundly strong connections in those moments of intimacy. And more importantly, in those moments of vulnerability. And the lesson from that is if you're stuck, if you're struggling, right, don't just put on the face and say everything's fine, but actually reach out and connect with people and say, this is what's going on, right? This is where I'm struggling. It's amazing the people around you that if you've invested in those relationships and you've spent the time trying to help them and support them in their moments of vulnerability, how those teams will come around you and be really be your champions in life when you need them. But it starts 
with spending time consciously every day of finding some way to make an impact to make somebody else's life better. Um, and you can't ask for help until you've delivered help. So mm-hmm. go out and deliver help to others every day. And when you need help, those people will be there for you. Wow. Well, I can't yeah. think of a better way to end our, our conversation today. So once again, thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, thank I you think for having me, Kathy. This has been... Um, and an amazing journey to hear your your story, and I've known you for a, about a couple of years now. Yeah, well, no, coming I guess up it's been about, about a little year and a half, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And so now to hear your story put together more. in this way has been um, I'm I'm very excited about that. Wonderful. So thank well, you for sharing. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, listeners. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, and you'll be notified of other interviews coming up. And if you have any questions for me or for Chris, please post them on my website lifestorycurator.com and I'll make sure to get the questions to Chris or get back to you about the questions you pose to me. So thanks again and have a great day. Thank you so much.